and welcome to episode 82 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. My name is Richard McKinnon and I'm joined by my co-host Pilar Orti. Pilar, how's it going with you? Yes, it's going okay. Yes, hello listeners. I am I'm all right. It's I think it's the afternoon lull for me, so if I sound a bit zen like, <laughs> it might mean I'm a bit sleepy. <laughs> I will intervene if I hear snoring. And apart from that, we'll just keep going. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we've been we've been talking uh, over the last few episodes about the working from home experience. And so I, I kind of need to say at this point, if listeners notice any clanging and banging, if we can't edit it all out of this episode, it's because my lovely neighbors um, have decided to gut their apartments and refurbish during this lockdown period when we're all working at home. So again, oh. what can we control? What can we not control? What can we accept? I, I have to really put that stuff into practice today. So apologies if you have us in your ears and you can hear something in the background. It is totally outside of my control. Yeah, it, it sounds okay from this end, Richard. So hopefully, but fingers crossed, the famous last fingers, words. <laughs> fingers and toes, right. So today we're going to talk about intentional use of technology and it relates very closely to what we've been discussing in terms of working from home but I think it's also one of those evergreen topics um, I know I've been working on it with clients for years now about how they relate to their gadgets to their email to their tablets whatever the technology is our relationship with that and how intentional we can be about that but first we'll cover off a few bits of news before we dive into the main content so you have heard me mention this before, uh, but our new online community that's all about personal development is now open to everyone. Work Life Psych Club was trailed a little while ago, and I had a closed beta with a few handpicked people to have a poke around and see what they thought. So it's now open to everyone, and you can join at www.worklifepsych.club. A link to a blog post uh, in the show notes that just explains the whole rationale. But the the skinny on this is it's a it's a free online community where all the members are interested in personal development. And so you'll hear some of the topics we discuss on on the podcast. We'll discuss them in more detail. It's not one way. It's a multi-directional conversation. Uh, I'll be able to share some resources on there as well. But we also thought it it would be a great place for our listeners to go after episodes to discuss what it is that we've covered. So it's completely free uh, in time. Um, I do plan to add some paid for courses and, and things like that, but there will always be this free community. So www.worklifepsych.club is the place to check and I hope to see you there soon. And can I, if I can interject and say that I'm really looking forward to it because I'm always very aware that um, not everyone is on Twitter, which is where we usually ask for for feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it'll be a nice closed space for people who are interested in these kind of topics. And I would love it if podcast listeners joined and, uh, and we could have a little bit of a conversation at some point, just see what resonates, what doesn't, etc. So I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. And actually, I trailed this episode in the community and I got some interesting feedback, uh, part of which I'm, I'm going to share um, in our discussion a little bit later on. 
Um, another bit of podcasty stuff, though, is that I'm preparing an episode all about mindfulness and the evidence base for my mindfulness. We did talk about mindfulness in the workplace a few episodes ago um, with uh, Dr. Antonia Diepman. Um, I've got another guest coming on, and we're prepping at the moment to look at what the research says. So we will talk about practice as well. But I wanted to ask our listeners, if you have any questions about mindfulness, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're a huge fan, whatever it is you'd like to know, send us a message and I'll make sure that our guest, uh, who's doing a PhD on mindfulness at the moment, will uh, dig up some answers for us. So you can send us the questions uh, on Twitter, at MyPocketPsych, or indeed come over to worklifepsych.club and ask the questions there. We started a conversation in the forum already. And I'm really looking forward to that because uh, we've got quite a lot to cover in, in terms of what works, how does it work, but also some pointers for our listeners and how they might want to get started if they think mindfulness could be helpful for them. And last time around, um, I was speaking with uh, Dr. Kira Kelly all about the role of our hobbies, our leisure time, and, and all of that stuff that's not work while we're working from home and the importance of boundaries and intentionality there. Pilar, you weren't on that episode. Did, did you get a chance to listen to it? Yes, I did. And that was episode 80 for any listeners that want to check it out. And... Of course, I found it interesting because it's part of this conversation. But I really liked when you were talking to her about the recovery activities, whether there's hobbies or whatever we're doing, really understanding what they're giving us so that if we can't do that specific thing, that we can look for something that gives us something similar. So I loved it from the point of self-awareness from the point of view of, okay, just understanding mm -hmm. why we do something, which is always interesting, but also from the point of view of, I can't do that. Okay. Well, what could be similar or what could give me something that that gives me and starting from there rather than saying, okay, well, uh, I don't know, either starting from scratch or, or getting a bit annoyed that we can't do that thing. That's so important to us. I, I think that's a really important point because we can have our needs met in multiple ways. And it mightn't be exactly the same, right? We need to be a little bit pragmatic when some of those avenues are taken away from us. But absolutely, if we go back to the why do I enjoy these pastimes or what do I get from these activities, we can then always ask, is there another way, even a vaguely similar way that I can get this same uh, need met? And, and that's a much more useful question, isn't it? Rather than, well, what's the point? I'm not going to do anything. So if that resonated with you, listeners, if you had a thought about your own leisure time, and I will be honest, I've had some feedback about that episode already, you know, where leisure is being viewed as a, as a bit of a luxury. So just to reiterate, we're talking about the whole non-work experience here, not just the fun, not just the hobbies, but the stuff that we're intentionally engaging in um, when we're not working. And it's really important to be clear on what we want to get from that and, and why we do it. So let's move on and have a little look at this topic of, of intentional use of technology. Um, 
this is at its very heart our relationship with the technology that we use the sort of day-to-day stuff so picture your mobile phone if you have a tablet or your laptop picture the apps the systems you use the social media all, all that kind of stuff and you know how we can look at this afresh and have a more intentional relationship with the technology uh, which is the opposite of being automatic in how we interact with them and how we respond to them. Now, I mentioned that I, I flagged that we were going to have this discussion over at worklifepsych.club. And one of the members who's given me permission to share this, um, Alan uh, contributed. Well, I just asked people, what does it mean to you? What does intentional use of technology mean to you? Um, and I loved what he said. So he's given me permission to share this. Intentional use of technology should be like turning the ignition key of your car or stepping onto a train, an action with a clear destination in mind. You wouldn't set off in your car or step onto a train if you had no idea where you definitely wanted to go, nor would you put up with a car or train that strayed wildly off course as you traveled. We could just leave it there. I love <laughs> yes, that. Okay. Well, thank you, Alan. <laughs> You know, if we looked at our technology in the same way, we we often pick it up and forget why we wanted to use it or we start to use it in one way and we ended up using it in a wildly different way or we intend to use it for moments and we find ourselves using it for a much longer time. Um, so, I, you know, Alan, I think you're really onto something there. Thank you so much for responding. Um, and I think that really puts us in a great space for discussing this, this intentional aspect. If we compare it to other things we do, it can give us a great insight into how we maybe treat technology a little bit differently to the other day-to-day activities that we, we're, we're involved in. And I think a lot of it comes from, so a lot of the bad press that technology gets about how it makes us uh, uh, easy to distract ourselves and how it's doing all sorts of things to us. I think it really is about that non-intentional use of it. I think that if we use it when we want to use it for, we want to use it, then it's, yeah, then it's great, basically. Absolutely. I'm a firm um, believer that technology is neither bad nor good. It's a tool and it really, really comes down to how we use it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of technology and I'm frequently surrounded by gadgets and, and stuff, but they have a purpose. And um, the most important thing to me is that I'm using them and not the other way around. And so I don't want people to panic about this topic. I don't want people to feel guilty about this topic. It's not a judgment in any way. My hope is that listeners will pause and think twice the next time they pick up their mobile phone or the next time they flip open their laptop or the next time they say to themselves, just five minutes more and wonder, is this what I really want to be doing? Is this me at my best or is this a distraction? Is this an automatic thing that I'm doing and I had no idea I'd even started it? And is there something that's a higher priority uh, for me that I could be doing right now? So it, it's really important for us to realize that when we're interacting with apps and social networks, these are designed to grab and to keep our attention. So it's not necessarily our fault that we've built up this relationship with them. Uh, so, you know, no guilt, just uh, awareness that that's happened and maybe um, a conscious choice to do things a little bit 
differently. And of course, if you're thinking to yourself now, hey, I, I like how I do this. I like the amount of time I spend on these apps, on these networks, on these gadgets, and it works for me, but that's fine as well. Absolutely. The important thing is that we pause and have a think about it. So um, uh, if at the moment, and again, we're in February 2021, if you're finding distraction through the use of gadgets to be helpful in dealing with you know, a really challenging period, then go for it. Um, but you know that you're doing that and it's helpful. So there's no one size fits all, as we always say. Just have a think about how it's working for you. I think if can I pick up on that point about the technology and how it's designed to get us back to that application, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that is where the whole point around intentionality also comes. So it's not just when we pick it up and when we open it, but how we uh, adjust it and how we customize the application so that it fits how we want to using it, not how it was designed. So I think that's a really important point. And I often forget that. And I just let stuff carry on as it came uh, <laughs> without touching much of the notifications or whatever. And I think it's really worth just pausing and thinking, how do I want to use this and how can I tweak it so that I can use it like I want to? You know, you've just reminded me for the last two weeks, I've been trialing a new email application on all my devices and it it works on all of them simultaneously. But that is the point that was hammered home to me immediately. Within five minutes, it was going ping, bang, boom, oh. notifications. <laughs> and I realized that the other one I'd been using, I had done that. I turned everything off. I'd shaped it so that, hey, when I want email, I will go and have a look at email. And before I realized it, my emails were flying in. They were appearing on my home screen. And it was, yeah, it was freaking me out because I was used to quite a... Um, an intentional relationship mm. with email. I don't want it going off on my phone. Um, even if they're lovely emails, guys, I will have a look at them when I want to have a look at them, uh, not the other way around. So, um, you know, and which brings me to a really important point, actually, that we'll talk about this and I'll speak for myself. I am not the poster child for healthy use or appropriate use of technology. Don't compare yourself to me. Just think about what, what works for you. But I have been on a journey in this space. And, you know, Pilar, you and I have talked about this a few times before, but maybe the example, I've got two examples to share. And then if you have some examples, um, it would be great to hear from you. But I remember when I first got um, my first Apple Watch and again, out of the box, putting that on and setting it up, it was going beep, 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 constantly. Notifications for virtually everything. And that's its default design. And I kept looking at it every time it buzzes or beeped. I'd, I'd look at my watch, look at my watch. And it took someone else to point it out to me that I was spending more time looking at my watch than I was at her when we were having discussions at work. And that, that was a real eye-opener, yeah? Um, <laughs> because that was happening to me and I didn't realize it. So it might be that you are very engaged with your technology and it might be that someone else has to point it out to you. The other example I wanted to share, and I'm being really open about this because I know I'm not the only person that does this. I realized a few years ago when I started to really get into the Nordic noir TV shows, you know, um, The Bridge, Borgen, those things, that... Um, I couldn't watch them the way that I normally watched TV because what I realized was I would always have a second screen in front of me. I'd always have my phone or an iPad 
and I would be multitasking. So a standard TV show is playing and I'm listening to it and I'm doing something else on the screen. But of course, I, you know, I don't speak Danish. <laughs> I don't speak Swedish. And I realized, oh, I really do need to pay attention to this and read the subtitles. And it was a great um, eye opener for what it's like to intentionally focus on one thing at a time. Now, we're going back a few years now, but I still think about it when anything we're watching has subtitles. It's the reminder that you you have to pay attention to this or you're going to miss some of the plot. I was and going I know to say I'm not the only person who does that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that I was amazed that uh, you were able to uh, engage with the series and another screen when there were when there were subtitles. Um no, I don't think you're the only person that does that. Um I I've heard I've heard other people mention it. Yes, especially doing two things at once. Um I've decided I very deliberately don't do it. So sometimes if I can, I will pause whatever it is that I'm watching and then do what I had to absolutely do, which I probably didn't absolutely have to do and then stop because I've noticed that as well. And I think uh, so when I, as soon as I catch myself, then I'll, I'll do something about it and say, okay, well, what do I need to pay attention to right now? Maybe I didn't need to pay attention to the phone. Okay, do that and then carry on. Because yeah, before you know it, you're doing it out of habit. And this is the thing about, is it problematic? You know, it's not problematic for me to miss five or 10 minutes of a show. But what is less than ideal is that I'm watching that with someone else and I'm missing part of it. And then I'm not in the loop, you know, so I'm not experiencing it in the same way. And that's what made me change my approach to things because it I wasn't by myself. I could easily rewind it if I was by myself, but you can't do that if someone else is watching it with you without that being disruptive and, and unfair. So the why of this is is what's really important. It's not that we can be unintentional uh, when it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But when mm. it's important to you, that that's when I'd really like everyone to focus on it. So what other things did you find along the way that were uh, getting in your way or that you wanted to change? What other things was it? What other things have you discovered, Richard, that you... Getting getting change? lost in a, in a social media pit <laughs> because there are bottomless pit of content so you don't get to the end of twitter you know um there is no point at which it says you have read this now go back to your life so that's very easy to do and and i'll talk a little bit later on about how um people can manage some of those things um but i've really noticed how what my phone looks like plays a large role in how much i use it And I was experimenting in the run-up to, to recording this. I found a great uh, video. I will share a link to it in the show notes because I cannot recall all the instructions. But it's using the accessibility features on an iPhone to make it look boring. <laughs> mm. So everything is grayscale. And once you realize everything you're looking at is no longer colorful and fun, eh, you, you want to press it less. And then it's less intrusive and less disruptive. And I thought this was a real light bulb moment for me. That and, and putting the apps away, you know, so they're not the first thing that I see. Even though they're fun, it's so easy to fall into them. And one one look becomes 10, becomes 15 minutes, and then, then, then I get frustrated with myself. So those apps are away, screens away, and I have to go looking for them. And that little bit of friction uh, helps prevent me from falling into that social media pit too often. So 
there's a few reasons why we're looking at this now um, and why it's important now. And it has been for, for some time, to be honest. This isn't a pandemic lockdown working from home uh, only topic, but it, it is made worse by the fact that when many of us knowledge workers spend a lot of our working time in front of screens, it, this problem is exacerbated by our personal pastimes also involving potentially a lot of screens, whether that's TV, whether it's playing games, whether it's uh, social contact with people using different apps. And add to that the fact that many people working from home are working longer than we are spending more time in front of screens. Now, I'm not saying here and now everyone needs to spend less time in front of screens, but I would argue that everyone could do a good job of managing that so they're spending what they want to on those screens and not doing it uh, out of habit or not doing it in a way that is uh, harmful to their relationships or running against their values. Um, the uh, social media pools themselves, these these bottomless pits, as I call them, or infinity pools, as I've seen other people describe <laughs> them, you know, there's just more and more content. And um, while it's it can be great, and it's a great creative outlet and a great social outlet. It's not like reading a magazine where you get to the end of it. It's not like you know um, listening to a song where it ends or a podcast where it ends. This keeps going, and uh, if we don't stop, then we'll just spend more and more of our time looking at this stuff. And as we said, it's designed to draw you in. It's designed to be fun. Um, and those notifications, those reminders that someone likes something you've done or want, you know, wants to recognize a photo you've shared or something, that, that all draws us in as well. And it's very well designed to do that. So we have a bit of uh, work on our hands to to push against that. Now, one of the problems, though, is that for some people, we have to interact with social media as part of our jobs, uh, whether that's monitoring it for news or actively, um, proactively promoting their business on whatever those social media platforms are. So for many of us, and this isn't a judgment either, but for many of us, we can't stay away from these streams. So we need to be more careful about how we use them. And then something that I um, spoke about on our community online was the doom scrolling of bad news. There is so much bad news out there if we want to read it, and our technology makes it easier and easier for us to be exposed to bad news almost constantly. And of course, there's no end to the news either. So just like uh, Twitter, just like Facebook, the news doesn't stop. It used to. You know, many years ago, that was the end of the news. But we've got 24-hour news now. And as far as I'm concerned, the bar for the breaking news has gone right down. And so we're getting more and more alerts. And if we don't manage those alerts, we're constantly being told about new things. And it might be just my perspective, but many of those breaking news stories are quite negative. They're, they're not good news, let's put it that way. So we also have a duty to ourselves to access the news intentionally. And um, we often do that via our technology. And that's why I thought I would mention that there. So quite a few reasons why it's, it's useful to talk about this. But as I said, even outside of a pandemic context, people have been wrestling with this stuff for a very, very long time. Um, and because you know the technology is so pervasive, there are so many opportunities for us to develop these habits that are less than helpful. 
Yeah, and especially now the, um, as you say, this has always been an issue, especially since uh, mobile phones uh, came on the scene and they became, and everyone had one and everyone was doing all sorts of stuff on it. But as you say, now that our social life is also usually from a screen, I mean, I noticed a, a huge increase in LinkedIn use around April 2020, when everyone started to want more connection and Social media maybe was a, a place that they hadn't quite used before because they were connecting with people in the physical space, so they were going out for a drink or whatever. So it's really become the internet has become a place not just of information but really of connection for many people who didn't use it before. So it's heightened the it's it's really well it's raised the awareness of of the problem. I think definitely, and of course, let's not forget it's a lifeline as well. There's such a positive yeah, side yeah. to all of this as well. So that connection is great. Yeah. Yes, I can't go down the pub, but I can have a, a video call with my friends. You know, this is all good as well when we want to use it that way. Um, and I wanted to share a, a quote from um, one of my favorite books, actually. Anyone who's been to one of my one of my productivity workshops will will know I'm a big fan of this book. It's called Busy, How to Thrive in a World of Too Much by um, another psychologist, Tony Crabb. And I could quote it, you know, as long as we have time. But this one particular one stands out for me here. In this world of too much, we are simultaneously overstimulated and bored, enriched and empty, connected, yet isolated and alone. And one of the central uh, themes within this book is that there's just too much stuff for us to get our arms around. There's too much content, too much information, too much news. And so we need to be more selective in where we put our attention if we don't want to be overwhelmed or as the book title intimates, if we don't want to be permanently busy. And I think it's a great reminder that we we can easily be overstimulated by whatever it is that we're looking at if we're trying to deal with it all. If we want to get to the end of the unread tweets or the end of the unseen photos, that can be exhausting. And and at the end, we may not feel we've accomplished much except used up a lot of our time uh, looking at a screen. And that's you know Tony's perspective. It's a great book, and there's lots of really super evidence in there. But I, I thought I would um, share uh, one data point uh, from a recent survey from Ofcom, which is the UK's communications regulator. And their survey found that two fifths of adults look at their phones within five minutes of waking up, and that rises to almost two thirds for those who are under thirty-five. So the technology is really embedded in our lives in a really, really big way. It's how we start our day for many of us. And of course, that means that we can either stop starting our day that way, or we can just be quite um, in, intentional in how we use this. Because I, I, I don't want to come across as, say, uh, someone who says, bin the technology and let's go back to you know carrier pigeons and stuff. It's here and it's doing great stuff. But I would wonder how many of that two-fifths of adults realize that they start their day on maybe less than a positive note because the first thing they see is their email inbox. It, it brings up also the the point I never thought of, well, I had kind of thought of, but it's really crystallized it, that the phone in particular is now, has replaced so many tools. And one of the tools it's replaced is the watch. 
mm. and for some people also the alarm clock. And I think that it 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 really shows how how intentional and aware we have to be because it's really easy to pick up the thing, go to do something like look at the time. And then while you're there, and it happens to me, so now I'm, I'm speaking from, from experience, I look at go, oh, seeing as I'm here, what else could bring me a little bit of a high or a bit of a, uh, or, or what else can I be outraged at if I just click on this other thing? Mm-hmm. So I think also it, it's it's the added thing that, uh, that, especially the phones, have are now the gateway to so much. And before we might have looked at our watch and then we didn't check anything else. We did the time and that's it. But now this device that gives us the time also gives us all this other stuff. So it's, yeah, that awareness has become so important. I talk about the impact of multitasking a lot on my training programs and compare that with intentional unitasking. You know, let Mm. me just do one thing at a time. But it's really hard to unitask with an item, with a piece of technology that can do so many things. These things are like Swiss army knives now. And so they do replace lots of things we would have used previously. And a glance at the watch, even now I look at my watch in front of me, my Apple watch, and it's there's so much on there that I could potentially get drawn into as well as the time, you know? So even the simplest things are, are not so simple anymore. And they can, you know, draw us away from where we want to be they can, of course, lead us into this habit of being always on, um, which is unsustainable. We can easily feel overwhelmed. And as you were saying, the outrage, you know, I know I jump on the outrage wagon from time to time <laughs> until I realize, hey, I'm just upsetting myself here. Uh, I'm screaming into the void, <laughs> if you like. But hey, that has an impact. So, so it's it's not so great. Uh, and of course, I might, uh, you might, anyone listening might have some automatic responses to technology. And I think that's a really useful um, angle to look at. Are we accessing it automatically because we don't want to experience something else? Are we accessing it automatically because we want to jump on the outrage wagon? Um, Why are we doing that? And do we even realize that we're doing it? Do we hop out of bed with our phone in our hands? Do we reach for it when we know Hey, that there's some breaking news there. I need to see what that breaking news is. And then we find it's something about a topic we've no interest in and is really inconsequential, but the alerts are all the same. Something that's quite insidious is this notion of comparisons in social media as well. And without realizing that we can be drawn into it, we can end up comparing ourselves to other people, either people we know know well, or uh, celebrities. And this is something that psychologists and sociologists have been looking at a lot over the years. But all I'll say on this point is that when someone shares something on social media, remember that they're almost certainly showing you the best version of that. You know, they're showing you the upsides. Um, If it's a success, they're showing you the attainment of the goal. They're not showing you the hard work. They're not showing you the tears, the disappointments, you know, normally. And so we, we often see a very sunny side up perspective on these things. And if we compare ourselves to that, then we're, we're really going to feel terrible. We might feel some pressure to try and uh, be the same or live up to that. So just remember that you're seeing the, the thinnest of thin top layers of someone's experience um, when you see social media posts that are nice, positive, and glossy. 
And Pilar, I don't know if you've ever compared yourself to someone on social media. Something something tells me that's probably unlikely. You you have a more healthy relationship with it than I do. Well, I choose who I follow very carefully. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you know, you always you always think, oh, why has that does that person's post have more likes than mine? And why have I got so few comments? I think that there is still that uh, slight comparisonitis uh, at a very, uh, maybe at a, a <laughs> smaller level, but it's still there. It's still there. So, and and it all adds to the, it's part of the fear of missing out also. It's a, what, what, what do I have to do to be like also? So, yeah. I mean, exactly. yeah, even, even I do it, Richard. <laughs> oh, well, well then we can say it's part of the human experience, but you know what, the, that point about comparison is part of the human experience. Our minds like to compare and judge and show us discrepancies and show us differences. And sometimes those differences are so big, they feel like a bit of a threat and that can feel quite anxiety inducing or stress inducing. It's just not pleasant. And it, it's based on nothing more than some images, you know, no, nothing more. No one's coming to us and saying, you're not good enough. We don't need that. Our mind is giving us messages in comparison uh, all the time. There's two more things I'll, I'll maybe discuss briefly that are negative, And then, you know, we'll move on to some positives because <laughs> I'm conscious this does sound a little bit negative. But again, with device use itself, it's very easy for that to blur um, the boundaries between our professional and our personal lives. Something that we talked about with Kira previously, we've talked about boundary management, but if we're using the same devices for our work life and our personal life, then it's all too easy for us to see work-related content when we don't want to look at it. It might be a notification, it might just be the temptation to have a quick look at the email while we're doing something else. We're looking up a recipe, but then we notice work. And before we know it, we're working again. And even if we're not working, our thoughts may be drawn to work. And so we're away from our desired focus and we're off in workland in, in our minds. And of course, the psychological overspill of all of this stuff, whether it's jumping on the outrage wagon, whether it's those comparisons or just far too much screen time and, and the um, anxiety that can result from far too much bad news, that can impact our sleep. And that's really at the bedrock of our well-being. So again, I don't want to induce techno panic, but to say, be aware that the amount of screen time and what you're doing with those screens can disrupt your sleep. And when many of us are having our sleep disrupted by a global pandemic, we don't want any more of that than we might normally expect. So just to recap, technology isn't bad or good. It's what we do with it that counts. We always have the choice. I think that's really worth reiterating. We always have a choice. It's just that sometimes that doesn't feel comfortable. And it's discomfort that, that I really want to explore at this point to help us understand our relationship with this stuff. I often use mobile phones as the sort of example when exploring this notion of psychological discomfort with clients. And we, we've looked at how we deal with the uncomfortable in our minds before, and we've talked a little bit about those diffusion techniques before. But we can understand the role that uh, technology plays in this, because when we feel something uncomfortable, uh, some anxiety about the state of the world, let's say, 
we can easily feel this urge to avoid that discomfort and so distract ourselves. And the, the route for the distraction can be technology. So we find ourselves scrolling through some photos or reaching for the phone or reaching for our tablet. And so this distraction means that uh, we're trying to get away from the thoughts and feelings that we don't want to experience. I'm not going to say it's good or bad. It might be helpful in some situations. It really might. In others, less so. Let's look at two scenarios here. If you have a bad day at work, you know, whatever that constitutes for you, but it's a tough day at work. And so you spend the evening watching a box, an entire series of your favorite box set on TV with your partner. That's one way we could say, well, I'm distracting myself from the annoyance of work by watching TV all evening. But think about another scenario where you have a similar bad day at work and instead you lose yourself in one of the social media pits. And that takes you away from interacting with people around you. And so they're, they're kind of different shades of the same color. We're using technology to help us feel better, but maybe one is more sustainable. We're doing it with others. We could maybe discuss the show. We're uh, feeling with uh, people. And we will be talking about this concept, um, uh, loneliness and relationships uh, later in this series. But it's, it's really interesting that watching TV with someone is very different to watching it alone and you know, we, we, we know what that experience feels like. But if the technology and if the distraction using technology takes us away from the kind of person we'd like to be, that's the point at which we could say, hey, there might be a slightly different way of dealing with this. And it's to remind ourselves, there's probably something I'm trying to avoid here. There's some discomfort I don't want to experience. And PLR, you mentioned one of them earlier, fear of missing out. I, I don't, I, I, I see the notification. I can't bear not to open the app to see what jewels are hidden there that I will reveal as soon as I click it. Yeah, I, th I have to say that the, the deliberate distraction <laughs> is what stops me from deliberately using technology sometimes in that um, if, if, I can, if I can share, I, I was listening to a podcast with Nira Yal who wrote uh, in, Indistractable. And what he said about, we've always found stuff to distract us. So before we had all this technology, it was that we needed to uh, wash the dishes. So we found suddenly, oh, that uh, bookshelf really needs cleaning. And I think that's where I find the most of my unintentional use of, especially the mobile phone. And I'm, I was thinking about this just now that, even reaching out for the phone and grabbing it with my hand is a little bit of that comfort. So it's usually, I'm usually either struggling, doing something that is, I'm either struggling, it's difficult, or I don't want to be doing it, or it's taking up a lot of brain energy. And so, you know, at one point I just go, grab the phone. I'll just, I'll just check if, and no, it's just about grabbing the phone, having something in my hand, and then doing something that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, I really... Yeah, I really get this point. Um, it's a bit different to the examples you were giving, but this is how I'm experiencing it. And and I think that makes absolute sense. And I'm old enough to to remember when mobile phones weren't entertaining. <laughs> they made phone calls. And if you were very lucky, you could play a single game called Snake. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I never remember, but I never enjoyed that. Uh, I never thought of the phones as being an entertainment device. And so they were used for text messages and making phone calls. 
And that was kind of it. And and I, I don't know when it started, but I know for many years of my existence, I could quite happily leave the house without a phone on me. And now that feels a bit strange. That would, you know, patting myself down going, have I got my phone? You know, wallet can stay at home because I can pay with my phone. The phone seems to be quite central to our experience of things because it can do so much for us. So it makes sense that there's a sense of comfort with, hey, I've got it. And if I want to, I, I can do all these things with it, but maybe I won't. I've just, I've got it. And that feels good. So let's have a look maybe through a more positive uh, lens and, and wrap up with some useful ways that we can start to develop a more intentional relationship with our technology. And if that has sounded like you so far, have a listen to these and see if you'd like to try them. I'd like to look at it from two different perspectives. One, some of these more tactical things we can do to insert a little bit of friction between us and the technology so that it gives us pause for thought. And then secondly, look at it through the lens of psychological flexibility. What is it that we can do to leverage the skills we've discussed previously uh, to be more intentional about it? And those things will take longer. So we'll start with the tactical ones and, and then move on from there. Um, really simply, if, it, if an app is a super distractor for you, if an app is drawing you in and you're wasting time with it from your perspective, delete it. Um, these days, it's really easy to re-download these things if that's a problem, but delete it and see how you get on for a while. Most of us have more apps than we know on our phones. They can accommodate so much stuff. So delete it. And then if you really want to use it, you can re-download it in the future. All is not lost. If you can't bear to delete something, then Put it on another screen, put it in a folder with other apps, maybe put it in a folder and then put it on another screen. Just don't have it on the first screen you see when you open your phone, because then you have to go looking for it. And that's a little bit more friction and that can stop you from automatically clicking on that uh, icon as soon as you, you uh, look at the screen. Turn off the device or devices until you need them. One of the advantages of our contemporary technology is it's kind of instant on. Uh, but, but, but if we turn it off, off, then we've got the friction of waiting for it to start up. And once we see it's off, we may say, well, I don't need to right now. I'd have to start it up. And that could be enough to come between us and um, one of these bottomless pits. And something that I thought would be useful um, would be to reiterate that sometimes it's useful things that pop up in front of us via notification. Sometimes it's it's something that we really, really know we will need, but not right now. And I can recommend the Read It Later services. Now, Pilar, I don't know if you've ever come across these, but there's some great services out there that allow you to just press a button in your browser and that article, that thing that you saw will be saved for you. Um, and you can come back and, and read it later. There's there's two I'm really familiar with. One is called Pocket. One is called Instapaper, both of which have free versions. And they allow you to save this stuff to avoid that. Well, I better look at it or I'll forget, you know, which is very easy to do if it's an interesting article or an interesting data point. And so you can know that it's saved somewhere else and you can read it another time and keep your focus on the here and now with the thing that you really, really want to do. 
I couldn't live without Pocket. <laughs> You're a user. <laughs> I'm, then. Sure okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I could, but that is really good to then during coffee time go, okay, what do I want to do during coffee? Right now I get out of the Pocket and I have a good read of that really interesting article rather than trying to rush through it. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, or reading it and going, that's brilliant. Wait, what was I doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is what is so easy to happen while we're trying to do deep work or creative work or problem solving. Um, we talked about notifications uh, already. I would just ask everyone listening to this to think about their own mobile phone, their tablet and their work computer, whether it's laptop or desktop, and ask yourself, do I know how to deal with these notifications? Do I know how to turn them off? Do I know how to turn them off on an app-by-app basis? Do I know how to silence my devices when I want silence? And I say that because I'm continually surprised by people using these devices daily and not, not knowing how or not knowing that that is possible. And it is absolutely possible on pretty much any platform that's out there now to manage the notifications. And that means that we can decide, I don't want to hear from this for the rest of the evening, or I don't want to hear from this app ever. I will go and look at it when I decide to. But these notifications are designed to get our attention. They're colorful, they're dynamic, they make a noise, they're everything our brain responds to. So if they are coming between you and being productive or focused, manage them, because otherwise they will manage you. Now, Again, something I find very useful is to associate an app with a purpose. And what I mean by that is I don't associate, um, let's say, uh, Instagram with productivity. <laughs> I really, really don't. But I associate it with a break. I associate it with looking at things that I really, really like, whether those are pictures that friends are sharing of, you know, their experiences or the um, art galleries that I follow. And so I know that if I go through these pictures, it's an opportunity to see something beautiful. And that's something I really, really like to do. I don't associate it with, you know, getting things done. So I know if I'm opening that, well, I'm, I'm here for leisure. And I don't associate my email with leisure, uh, even if they're personal emails. I really don't like email full stop. But I know that if I'm, if I'm reaching for email, I better be doing some work. If I'm reaching for Instagram, this is for leisure. Uh, now, it's not always the case. I use Instagram for work as well. But even then, I find that fun. I find that a, a kind of a relaxing thing. And so if you know, what is this app for? Because it can feel like work all those notifications, all those unanswered messages. But are these WhatsApp messages? Is this work or is this personal? Is this entertainment? Is this uh, key tasks? And so going beyond the flashiness, going beyond the colors, going beyond the notifications, why do I use this app? And that can help us with the discomfort piece as well. Is this a fluffy distraction? Is this Pinterest? I love it. I love looking at it, but it's not work. So I need to be clear that this is not a work activity. This is not a productive activity. This is a leisure activity. And that can be really, really helpful. And the final one I'll mention is, is apps that do some of this for you. It might sound counterintuitive to say, well, there's an app that can help you with these apps. But more <laughs> and more, people are bringing apps out that allow us to see things like how much screen time uh, am I, you know, 
spending during the week? How much time am I spending looking at these devices? But I came across one the other week called Opal, O-P-A-L. And um, it, it's a paid service, but basically it comes between you and apps that you nominate. And it basically, like a friend, says, are you sure? <laughs> You're opening Twitter. Are you sure you want to do that? And if you do want to do that, what is your intention? Are you opening Twitter to, to share something wonderful? Or are you opening Twitter to be outraged and annoyed? You know, what is it you're, you're intending to do here? And that pause, it can be all you need to say, you know what, I don't want to look at that right now. I was in the middle of writing an email. My phone went ping. I picked it up. I looked at it. But actually, this got in the way. Now, I would put that in the category of if all the other things don't work. I don't think there's a need for all of us to sign up for an annual service to do this for us. But if it's really problematic for you and if you're finding you need something else, then something like that could be really useful. But I like what it is that they have to say about technology and and how the technology can be fantastic. And it can also be problematic if we don't really tell the difference between these infinity pools of distraction and these apps that really help us navigate challenges in our life. I really like what they have to say. It's a lovely, lovely website, opal.so. If you look at their manifesto, it's, it just makes me smile. So <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's a really, yeah, the, the concept behind it is really, really lovely. It, it doesn't look or sound like um, maybe how I'm describing it. That's like Big Brother telling you not to do things. It's not like that at all. And have a look. Have a look at the, the website and see for yourself if that's uh, something you'd like to try. Let's wrap up then by, by having a look at this from the, the, the perspective that listeners, regular listeners will be really familiar with, that of psychological flexibility or acceptance and commitment theory. You know, everything that we do, we can put into two buckets really, really simplistically. We can talk about the towards moves that are in line with our goals, our values, you know, moving towards where we want to get to, and our away moves. And that's anything where we're really, uh, our emphasis, our focus is on minimizing or avoiding discomfort. And so we can ask ourselves, when I reach for my phone or when I open that app, is this a towards move? Am I being the kind of person I ideally want to be? Am I applying my values here? Or is this avoiding some discomfort? Am I looking at this because I don't want to look at something else? And maybe would it be more helpful for me to make a towards move here and do the thing that's a bit un uncomfortable, a bit boring, a bit necessary, but it's more in line with who I want to be. And so just remembering we always have that choice. And I think this is key to the whole thing. We always have a choice. Just sometimes the discomfort can be feel overwhelming, really. Um, and so look for that discomfort and see, is it followed by grabbing some technology, opening an app, immersing yourself in social media? And it could be, I mean, discomfort is a, is a word that's open to, to interpretation, but it could be something that's difficult. It could be challenging, and we're putting that off. And so when looking at this, sometimes uh, technology, and we can replace technology with food, alcohol, you know, anything could be used to try and avoid discomfort. But it, when we use the discomfort and we feel better, we feel that relief. That's the thing to look out for. Might that be setting you up for a problem um, in the medium to longer term? 
because you're neglecting something else. It feels good to use the technology, but you're neglecting or not taking care of something else, a relationship, some workload, uh, a responsibility, whatever it is. So the question is, if you want to do, if you, if you want to do things differently, if you want to try something different because you are using technology in this way, um, we need to ask ourselves, what am I prepared to accept? Because there'll be some discomfort here. That, that's the other thing. If we want to try something different, it will be uncomfortable, but we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing it? What do I hope to achieve here? And am I prepared to accept some of that FOMO? Can I sit with unread notifications? I'm telling you now the answer is yes, but at the time it feels like I can't, I can't sit here. Try it. See what it's like to sit with unread email, red dots, whatever those things are on your device. There's also another thing that comes through really clearly is the discomfort of prioritization. And this comes back to Tony Crabb's whole point. If I prioritize doing one thing, that means I'm not doing some other things. If I prioritize reading this, then I can't read all those other things at the same time. And, and sometimes we're overwhelmed by all of the things, all of the information, all of the updates, and it can feel really quite uncomfortable. So if we can get used to realizing if I prioritize reading this article in full, yes, I won't be looking at all the other things that want my attention, and that's uncomfortable, but I'm doing this one thing well, and I'm deciding that that's what I want to do. And of course, something else that you might get a little bit of until you persist with it is what other people think of you. Uh, why didn't you respond to my message quickly? Or I haven't seen you on Twitter lately. Or why didn't you like my photo? And so what's useful here is to think about how you're going to talk about your more intentional use of technology with other people. Uh, of course, the people close to you and then people in your work network who might think it's strange that you're changing some of your habits. Again, I, in no way am I saying you need to drop everything and go and live in a cave. So please don't take that message. But if you yourself decide, I would like to be more intentional then that's going to impact your behavior. And other people may notice that and may ask you about that. So these are some additional sources of discomfort. But if the higher order uh, goal here is to be more intentional and it's in line with your values, then that's what to focus on, not the temporary discomfort. I hope all of that makes sense, that psychological flexibility perspective. What do you think, Pilar? I think it's right at the heart of what we're talking about, isn't it? Uh, to really to be that, that aware and decide whether you want to be doing something or not. So for me, that that's it. <laughs> that is at the core of what we uh, what we're talking about. For me, I'd really like to um, invite everyone listening to this to come and join our online community and have a good old chat about this. Um, maybe share your perspectives on it. Maybe your top tips for being more intentional. Maybe there are, I know there are other services and approaches that you could share with other listeners and members. So that, that would be fantastic. Um, Worklifepsych.club. Um, I'd really like to see some of our listeners there. And I can 100% recommend Tony Crabb's book, uh, Busy, How to Thrive in a World of Too Much. If today's topic has resonated with you, I know you will enjoy every chapter of that book. It's, it's made a big impression on me since I read it. So I will put a link to that in the show notes too. Now, I hope that by listening to this, you've had some thoughts about either 
I'm fine with this. Nothing for me to learn here, which is great. Or you've said, that sounds a bit like me. I'd like to make some changes. But I did, don't want to leave anyone with a sense of worry or guilt. So please um, don't uh, take your earbuds out with that lingering in your mind. This is a positive topic. Uh, I'd really like everyone to finish up feeling that they've got some new ideas rather than a lingering sense of uh, disappointment. So we're at the end of another uh, episode, uh, 82, Pilar, can you believe it? Um, we're not only in double digits, but we're rapidly approaching treble digits. Wow, amazing. I have to say 82 episodes and I think I've got the wrong input for my microphone. So listeners, if you've noticed anything, <laughs> hopefully you'll be fine. Uh, are we doing anything special for episode 100, Richard? Let's not count our chickens. Um, <laughs> you just a bit I, far away. <laughs> I've learned this year to do less of that long-term planning, um, yes. lest I be disappointed. Now, I really would like to do something special for that. Uh, listeners, if you've got any ideas, let us know. Yeah. I'd really like, if anyone's been listening from the beginning, I mean, first of all, talk about resilience um, and stamina. But if you have been listening from the beginning and you want to share something that you've taken away from this, something you found useful, uh, I would love to hear that. If there's something that's made a difference. Every so often, someone will say that, but not in a way that I can share on the podcast. And that's absolutely fine. But if you would like to share something and you're happy for us to mention it uh, on our 100th episode, then please do get in touch. Twitter at my pocket psych or come and join us on the online community and share it there. So Pilar, thank you for joining me for another episode. It's been great. We have of course gone long, but it's a big topic and I don't feel any guilt. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of my pocket psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.